Welcome to Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We're here to help you take your health, fitness, and mindset to the next level. It's time to level up. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. Today we are talking about building a new identity and letting go of who you were. Mm, this topic was actually one that was requested through the DMs um, on the Level Up Instagram. So thanks for sending that through. Uh, we both resonated with this a lot because obviously we've had a lot of shifts and a lot of changes throughout the last, I don't even know, maybe five to 10 years with both of us. We've gone through a lot of different identities or we've built different identities along the way. So we wanted to have a little bit of a casual conversation about some of the things that we've been through, our personal experiences, and then also have a little bit of a chat about identity and what it actually is. I think it's an important topic as well. I mean, the question that was asked was around moving away from being a competitor and a bodybuilder, but we we didn't want the episode to sound like we were encouraging that for everyone or mm. we have to be a certain way. So we wanted to make this broad in a sense of you can change your identity. You're not stuck with one identity. Um, you know, in every phase of our life, we identify with certain things that keep us safe, that give us validation, that make us feel included, all of the primal instincts. But mm. you're actually allowed to change that. It is not easy letting go of who you were and and how the people around you respond during that process. But it is very important because as we grow and evolve, the things that we value, who we see ourselves being also mm -hmm. changes as well. So, yeah, it's an interesting topic. Yeah, absolutely. And I know a long time ago, we had um, someone called Michelle Beatty on the podcast talking about, um, you know, some of the work that she does in her program called The Art of Noticing. And basically what Michelle um, has taught both Danny and myself is something called internal family systems. And this uh, breaks down not only identities, but into parts. And I just can't unsee the lens now when I hear about identity that parts exist and they make up who we are. And we all have like, you know, like, I don't even know, it was like 40 to 50 different parts that we can identify at one period of time. Um, and that was my exact thought when I was, you know, doing some of the notes for this and obviously reading through the question and even just um, like here and now it's really just come up. But I think it's important to to recognize that we don't just have a identity the same way um, that we don't just have like one hobby. We have a host of different parts or identities that actually make us up. And I think a lot of people can get so attached to one part or one identity and they don't want to quote unquote, like let it go or like change. And to me, now that I have that lens of IFS and, you know, the, the things that make up me, I would see that as doing a disservice. Like if I was only looking through one part and thinking this has to be everything and trying to to live through that part, I just think all the other incredible identities and parts aren't getting any airtime and you're really like underselling who you are as a person. So today we want to be able to talk about like the many different parts that, um, you know, might make up you, but then also like our experiences and how our parts are being developed and how our lenses shifted throughout the years too. Exactly. So in each of these parts, we can we can label parts being different identities, for example. Mm. You might have a professional identity, personal identity, and you can call them whatever you want. Um, but there are many different parts and identities, and they're a unique set of characteristics that as we grow up, you know, people praise us and say, well done for blah, blah, blah. And then you you hold on to that as a kid. You go, 
if I cleaned my room and I was a good kid, you know, then I get love. So then you mm. sort of carry that. Or when you're you're little, you might share a toy with someone and, you know, oh, well done. You're such a good boy or girl, you know, and you go, okay, wow, I get that validation when I share and, or you do something wrong. You, you spill something on the ground. Don't do that. Like all of those parenting experiences start to shape mm. the ways in which we respond um, to praise and the actions that might get praised or might, you know, we get scolded for. So the identity and the different parts start to shape as soon as you're born. And obviously when you're younger, you don't understand. You just know what is connecting me to my parents or prime carer or what is causing them to be, um, you know, disappointed in me and make me feel not included. So it, it just starts as soon as we're born. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if we're looking at like identities that we hold very strongly to ourselves and we associate a lot with, it's usually because we've had some sort of positive reinforcement or recognition towards that part. Um, and we live through it proudly, right? Which is an amazing thing. And I think like some common ones that come up for a lot of people is being like a good student, like a good worker or like intelligent, really smart. Like a lot of people have that really like emotional, um, intellectual attachment to being smart. You see that a lot. Um, but then also more, I guess, general ones like being a mother, being a girlfriend, being an athlete, being the funny person in school, right? Like we all remember one. We have one in the group that was like the funny person. They really wore that identity and they sometimes they took it too far. It was like, okay, like it's not funny. That's not funny. Like they'll try everything <laughs> into a little bit of a joke, right? Yeah. Um, got the rebel, like the badass that was always in the principal's office. I, I definitely built that part. <laughs> were you? Um, and then like a criminal, right? Like where people just are like, this is who I am. Yeah. Right? And you can even attach identity to behaviors, right? And this is something that James Clear talks about, um, having identity-based habits, whereas our behaviours make up who we are, right? We know that. So he uses the example in the book, for example, uh, of like smoking, like I'm a smoker, rather than like smoking is just something I do. So when we want to change our behaviours, we actually need to change our identity. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about our experiences, but even here right now, think about some of the things that you identify yourself as that you don't even probably know that you've got behaviours attached to it. You just think I'm just, you know, I'm a coach and therefore I go to the gym and I prioritize this and I do all these other things. It's got this big cascade of ripple effects because you identify yourself as an expert in that field, leading other people to a place that you've been. So it's really important to think about, oh, and get curious about like, not just my identity, but my identities, like what are they and what, what behaviors follow those, those um, identities as well. It's such an interesting one and um, you listed off some of the most common and I think our occupation shapes the most prominent identity for mm. most of us because we have to like dial up that part for hours every day, whatever amount of hours you're working in a week, we have to be that character, mm. whether it's um, authentic or not. We have to portray that part so strongly so often because of work and you find that a lot in people they are most dominated by their work part and I 100% am that is who I am most of the time um and it's neither good or bad it's only bad if you start to notice hang on I'm actually neglecting the other parts so going back to when you mentioned Michelle at the start who taught us about internal family systems and all of this part she asked us the question and specifically she asked me okay if you're not Danny the osteopath who are you and she asked me that probably 
two years ago and I forgot. I literally could not answer. If you had asked me that when I was 18, different, you know, I would have, I was the party animal, I was fun, I was social, I was, you know, a daughter, whatever. And I'm still all those things, but they all got super dialed down. And it was really confronting Mm. to actually have that realisation and go, wow, like, again, it's neither good or bad, but I am so strongly in this part. And then it allows you to reflect can I stay here or should I actually turn some attention to the other parts? Mm. Now you can't be both at at one time. Okay. You can, you can jump in and out. You can be a work persona or a work part. You can be a personal life part, but it can't really be the same. So it's, yeah, everyone just have a little think. How strongly do you identify to certain parts and and start with the work part? You know, that's the easiest to recognize and you go, oh mm. shit. Yeah. And you sort of create little characters for yourself. Um, or you can label them whatever you want. But, yeah, work is probably the most common one who shapes us, and that's why it's so important to love what you do, right? But it all starts with this awareness here. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, we spend so much of our life working. We better darn well have a strong identity around it. It just makes common sense. And, you know, there's a quote that says, you can't lead what you haven't lived, right? And I genuinely believe that, like, you know, if you're uh, a mentor or a coach or whatever, and we speak about this a lot, there's a lot of people out there that practice or that preach things they don't practice, right? Mm -hmm. And eventually get caught out and it becomes really draining because you're trying to like force yourself to do something that you don't even associate yourself with or that you haven't been or done before. So when you're a coach or, you know, and um, I'll have a little bit of chat about my experiences. Like when I was a nurse, like I lived it, you know, it was on my socials. Like all everything was just jumbled in together. It made no sense now that I look back (laughs) on it. But it's just who I was at different periods. And I think when you can learn that there isn't just like one piece of you, and it can't be taken away because I think especially when we're talking about the competitor piece uh, or that the, the the bikini pro whatever it might be like that that's still an identity but it's not all of you and you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket but I think a lot of people can get so much praise for certain identities that we become worried that if we don't all of a sudden follow the exact behaviors repeatedly if we don't still compete if we don't still do these things then all of a sudden you know in our brain in the lower parts of our brain we go people won't like me anymore I'll be left out and we all know that um, community and having a tribe and feeling like you belong is a fundamental human need right we really do suffer mentally and emotionally without um, belonging to some sort of tribe so this is why we get so attached to our identity and for good reason right but obviously we're not going to get rocks thrown at us if we decide to change our careers or or move between Um, but it's really important to be able to identify that. Absolutely. I'd love to know, and we are going to talk about um, personal experiences, but before we sort of go down that path, when you're listing off some of the common ones, I'm interested to know what what you sort of identified as, or have you been able to reflect on the links between you being the rebel or you being so-and-so? Like, can we get into that? It's kind of fun. Oh, God. Um, sure, why not? Well, something <laughs> I definitely have done, a, have done a lot of work around, and I even think I've done a lot of work with you guys listening mm. um, without even actually knowing, is I had to work really hard in high school just to be an average student. Like, I was someone that had to do, do a lot of study, um, would have to tick all the boxes just to sort of get by in high school. In hindsight, it's because I just hated everything I was learning about. So no surprise. Because yeah. um, I, I excelled when I got to uni and I got to pick my subjects and really like go into something that I was passionate about. Um, but in school, I had this thing of like, 
never smart enough, never good enough. And, you know, I've spoken about teacher experiences. We love teachers, but <laughs> looking back, I'm like, yeah, you know, it could have been like, like approached a little bit differently as like <laughs> a young kid, um, most definitely. So that bled into my adult life. Absolutely. Where, you know, I still had to work hard, but I, I was still, you know, getting distinctions in uni, but still had that same, like not smart enough. Um, and it definitely came in, like I was tutoring anatomy um, for first years in oh. my third year. Like I was quite intelligent in that area. But then when I moved into coaching, I was like, oh, not smart enough, you know? And I remember speaking to you about it quite a lot, even though it's, it wasn't true, right? Like it's, if, enough for what as well, yes. right? Like you've got to be able to identify what you're talking about. And the reality is like, there's always something new to learn. So I just have a different perspective and a different lens rather than trying to catch up. That was something I had to do a lot of um, reframing and rewiring around um, at the start. Definitely don't have that piece anymore because I think having a beginner's mindset means that you never know enough and that's not a good nor bad thing. It just sort of is. Um, so that's the first piece around schooling and my sort of like learning experience. I probably because of that, I used to play up in school a little bit, mm. maybe up until maybe year 10, I think. And then I was like, radio, got to get my shit together. Um, I wouldn't say I was like, a rebel. I don't know what I what I I'd just say I used to muck around in school a lot. You know, that's probably all. Never malicious, <laughs> never really bad, but you know, I've definitely done my fair share of like skipping classes and you know, all that sort of <laughs> yeah. stuff. But then being like, come on, Mr. Palmer, it's all good. Like I would always be really good with the teachers. Um, <laughs> no criminal offenses, I can definitely say that. Um, <laughs> And my athletic identity did not get established until definitely oh, maybe about 18, 19, 20, not until that age. I was always someone that I associated with not being good at PE or sport, um, really? not being physically active. Yeah, I used to, you know, I'd pull the P card in um, in swimming and sit on the <laughs> sidelines with my iPod Nano and just, you know, <laughs> kick it out. <laughs> Um, I was not active in school, right? Like not active. Um, I, I was definitely had my party girl era. Like I was a bit wild um, to the point where people would be like, geez, the old Sherelle. And I'm like, she's um. right. Like I, I definitely had that residue of that identity for a long time um, where people associated me with something else that I definitely moved on from. So mm. that's a whole nother thing that we could talk about as well is like other people recognize parts of you and they, they don't want you to have different identities too. But that was one, went through me party girl era, left that behind, um, then developed a really strong athletic identity uh, mm. as well. Whereas now, like now I you know, I'm good at sports if I wanted to be. And that's the difference is like, I think it's that growth mindset piece where you can understand like you can be good if you try, you know, whereas in the past I just thought, no, I don't, I'm not fast. I'm not, I'm not smart. I'm not good. I'm not quick. I can't do these things. I'm always picked last and swimming. Like, it's just that rather than I can change those things if I just put the effort in. Um, yes. And yeah, like I became a really good runner when I wanted to be. Um, I became obviously a really good competitor when I wanted to be. Um, and yeah, I just think I, I managed to let go of the pieces that were the mental things that were holding me back. Um, so there's some of mine. What about you? What about your sort of maybe younger experiences? Yeah, amazing. So thanks for sharing all of that. It's always fun. It's so different when you reflect on when you're, a you know, young child to a teenager to then professionally now, and we'll get into that half of it later. Obviously, you know, we're sharing a lot of our lives here. Um, but it, for me, I think I was the opposite 
to you. You mentioned you sort of played up until around year 10. And naturally, when we're put in systems and programs that we don't align with, whether it's not our learning style, it's not in our interest, naturally, you you can waver and look to entertain yourself in other ways. But it does always come down to that piece of feeling, you know, validated and a part of something. And um, going from primary school, you know, to high school, I didn't really have much going for me in a sense of athleticism, kind of like yourself um, or anything else. So then my praise from my parents were, oh, you're such a good student. So I was that good student because I was just, I was good at it. Like I I knew I could sit myself down and learn what the teacher was teaching. Um, and then I kept getting praise for it and it. I didn't need to make friends with it. Like I just kind of did my own thing. So even though I identify as an extrovert, I was, I just forced myself to be introverted um, just so I felt good about myself for something. You know what I mean? I wasn't the popular one who did the dances and, and like had all the friends. I'm like, fuck, I've got to be the smart one then at least. Um, And then come about year nine, year 10. So the same year where you kind of transition, it must be like an after puberty thing. You just sort of change. Um, I was the opposite. I became, I went in a new class with a girl and she was just, she was one of the class clowns and it was so funny. So I made friends with someone and I started making more friends. So I was like, well, fuck getting the straight A's. I'm like, finally, I'm a, I have a group, like Mm. I'm a part of friends, you know? Um, So then kind of had my phase of getting in trouble for talking in class. And then I adopted the class clown persona, but just within my little um, group there as well. So that gave me better validation than Mm. what labeling being smart was. Um, But then come year 12 or year 11, year 12, I kind of merged the two together. I was social, had some friends, like some awesome friends. And I did have them in year seven and eight. So sometimes they listen and go, hey, I was your friend in year seven and eight. So thank you to those guys. (laughs) Um, But I really became more confident in being social in the later years. So then year 11 and 12 blended the two together. Um, And as you get older, you kind of, you still want that love from your parents and your caregivers, but then you kind of realize, hang on, I'm actually responsible for whoever I am and my life. I feel like when you're younger, you just do what you're told. You're like, oh my God, I need to listen to these people, teachers, parents. And then you kind of find out what socializing is and partying is and then it's fun and then you start driving and then you get your independence and then it really, really shifts. Um, And now carrying all that, you know, I think I'm a bit of both. I love being social, but I love still being a good student in the things that I love. Um, Mm. And we'll get into adulthood later. But, man, my hat goes off to kids going through all that again. And it's just like, oh, my God, it's full on. I'm exhausted. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yeah, you're really like, you know, during those years, you're just figuring out who you are. You don't even know what you like. You don't even know anything, right? You just trial and error the whole time until you figure it out. Um, and yeah, I think everyone sort of has like a bit of a pivotal change around that sort of like 16, 17. You have to. I think those years really determine what direction you're going in uh, as well. And even for me, like if I have to think back about one, like the next sort of beyond that, like in year maybe like 11 and 12, that's when I was like, okay, all right, got to start like paying attention now I'm gonna start I was a bit late I wish I really caught on maybe year nine and started paying a bit more attention um but that was when I was like all right you know oh I want to get out of this town and I want to study and I want to go somewhere so I better pay attention in class um and it then when I went to uni that was massive for me because 
it's literally the same as when you travel, right? And one of the questions we were going to say, like, if you could go somewhere without anyone knowing you, who would you be and what daily actions would you do? Um, And I moved like three and a half hours away from where I grew up, literally knew no one. um, And I lived on res on campus as well. And I was put in a unit with like 15 other people that like from all over the wherever, um, didn't know any of them. And as well, they sort of base you on like personality too, you oh. do like little questionnaire. So you're in there with sort of people you might get along with. And it was weird because you are just like a fresh canvas. And that's how I felt when I went to uni. But not only that, some of my behaviours like my come with me that people would be like, oh, my God, like that is that you, right? And then I would like learn and model from other people because the yeah. uni I went to was quite renowned for um, exercise sports science PE all of those things as well so everyone in my unit was like big tennis players like party goers but like (laughs) look after yourself and I think (laughs) I started to model um with a lot of those people as well that were driven towards excelling in school uh, or sorry uni at that stage and like wanting to pursue careers and then being athletic and you know like something on the weekend would be going down to play tennis or like, you know, going for a run. Like it was a little bit different. So I really started to mold and then probably like step into actually who I wanted to be um, at that pace. And that's when I started to like go to the gym, started running, started looking after my health and fitness, um, met Luke. That was another big mm. one. Like you start to meet people and identities mold together, right? We mirror what we're sort of surrounded by and we we build relationships inside ourselves based off the ones that we're um, surrounding ourselves with as well. Um, and yeah, that was a massive change for me. Like they always say, if you really want to change yourself, like move, change your environment. And that was just like pivotal for me. And it's, you know, some people get scared by the idea of moving away or leaving a relationship or starting a new course and and having those sort of life overhauls. And Mm. yes, it's scary because it, it forces you to let go a lot of let go of a lot of those attachments and identities. But then, as you said, it's a blank canvas. You can literally be whoever you want to be because external expectations weigh so heavily and they do shape us. You know, people notice if you're acting, quote, unquote, out of character. They start to say, oh, are you okay? Or Mm. so-and-so is changing and then they put their lens on it and it can be a bit messy. So if you just pack up and leave and you situate yourself in a new uni like what you did or moving towns, Mm. no one has those expectations or if you Mm. go to travel and it is so freeing you know Mm. I'm not brave enough to be a solo traveler I don't know why but you know I did travel with my friends but I notice you still stick with your friends and then you can't really be different because they'll be like what the fuck's wrong with you like why are you acting like that but you know the solo travelers I had no idea who they were and they they could say anything to me and I would assume that that's who they are. Like it can be extremely scary but extremely Mm -hmm. freeing. We all remember moving out of home. No offence but to, you know, who we're living with. But, man, it's like I can do whatever I want and it's amazing. Yeah, you can you have a completely different lens, right? You sort of yeah. like wake up to yourself because you don't know what you don't know. You sort of like conform to what you're surrounded with. And even when I moved moved away, like I had a boyfriend at the time and after 6 months I was like, what am I doing? Like I don't really want to be with this person. Like oh. you completely change, right? Like you completely change. Yeah. Might sound a bit um over the top for some people, but I 
think that when you come from a small place and it's all you've ever known, when you surround yourself with different people with different experiences, different perspectives, and I find as well, like when I lived on res, these are a lot of people I wouldn't have associated with, to be honest. Like I wouldn't have ever been in the same room with some of these people, but they become some of my best friends. And when I could like hear stories and I'd be like, wow, like you've been through that at school or that was your experience. Like that's so interesting. You're such a good person. And you would just hear different things and it actually gives you layers of empathy um, and also perspective. And that's really what builds different characters and sort of gets you to be exposed to new situations that you just wouldn't have been if you stayed in your comfort zone or sort of stay doing what you've always known. Yes. And we live a life on autopilot a lot of the Mm. times. You wake up, have the same breakfast, brush your teeth, you know, same coffee, same walk, blah, 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 go to work. It's all the same shit. So you need that sense of, you know, we need consistency, but we need um, things that aren't consistent as well, Mm. because as you said, it gives a new perspective. And, Mm. And you do notice that in people, like, as soon as I went to Europe with with the girls, you know, 2016, one of my friends broke up with her long-term boyfriend like on the first night. Why? Just to have fun? Well, actually, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) When in Europe? (laughs) No, but, well, fuck, I don't know. Like she had that realisation. She'd gotten on an aeroplane. She went halfway across the world and it sort of just opened her eyes and goes, look, I'm actually... I haven't been happy and he hasn't been happy. There's a whole life ahead of me right now. I'm ready to explore and have a shift in perspective. And yeah, that realization, maybe I just was in my comfort zone and I was Mm. putting up with things that you actually don't have to, you know, I'm not encouraging everyone to do that. It's not nice, but you hear stories and we've all been through some sort of element of this, but that's what it is. It's a shift in perspective. So Mm. if you're not happy with your life now, If you're sick of identifying with the same old stories that you're telling yourself, because it's all stories in our head, you know, Mm. um, then you can change, but it might take a shift in environment first. If you can't Mm. change that internal language, um, change your environment and you'll be surprised, even if it means going on a different walk or like studying in a different library or I don't know why I'm thinking of these examples, but different things like that, you know, it's super powerful. Yeah, 100%. Like arguably if you don't change your environment to match your identity, you'll just revert back. It won't actually change. Like you have to, to be honest. It's you can't, you can't like become a different person in a toxic environment. You will just adopt um, and mirror like the things that are happening around you too. So this is why they say, you know, surround yourself with the five people above you'll become them like it is it is true truth right like it is definitely the truth but you don't know when you're looking through different identities a lot of the time you just think that's who you are it's not until you step away like what you said your friends like having a bit more of a zoomed out look and being like what am I actually doing like when I went to uni or you know like like when we stepped into the competing world it feels like that's it that's it. That's what I look through. And even like we can probably have a chat about, you know, our personal experiences with competing as well, because obviously that was what the question was around, but it is a big thing because you don't actually, you see it differently when you're in it. Um, You see it very differently when you're in it. It feels like it's so big, right? Like especially Mm. the competing world. And what we have to realize it is such a small percentage of the population that have this identity or or, that is similar to you. Um, But when you're in it, it feels like 
all-consuming. You see it everywhere. Like it's the whole thing. Like don't think of white bears. You think of white bears. Um, huh? It's all around you, you know, and it's just a piece of your identity. But both Danny and I can 100% resonate when it feels like it's really big and it's super important and it's everything um, because that's the lens you have to do if you want to or, sorry, have to have if you want to do well at something. It has to be the thing that you live through. Um, but it's also important to be able to zoom out and have different perspectives true and get back to real life a lot of the times like get back to your real life so you can be surrounded with family and friends and know that there's also bigger things um that you know people love you for who you are not just what you do and it's really important to feel that um around you as well but yeah we can probably have a little bit of a chat about maybe current life and competing an athlete yeah. and it's yeah and it, it is so interesting off the back of what you were saying like you if you want to be successful in anything, you mm. need to identify as the person who is successful in that thing. You have to take the daily actions in order to get you closer to that goal. So the top athletes in the world live and breathe their sport. Like my attention is on tennis at the moment, not to deviate too far. We will bring it back to bodybuilding, but the tennis is on at the moment. These mm. guys spend every single day training in all kinds of climates. You know, they they their nutrition, their training, their mental capacity towards the game has allowed them to now be on TV in the Australian Open. Mm. And it's so interesting because last year we had, you know, Serena Williams, Roger Federer, even if you're not into tennis, you know these people. Mm. Ash Barty who won, um, they all walked away from the sport. And I feel like yep. although they'll be going through their own internal things because they now have to identify something else, the repercussions from everyone else mm. was massive, saying, like for Ash Barty, you know, well, she just won. Why is she quitting? And everyone sort of made it about them. Yeah. Whereas now she's actually pregnant. So there was a plan there. She actually just wanted to become a mum now. So she had to change her identity. But I, like even I felt myself getting so attached to these athletes because I won't be able to watch them anymore and it made yeah. me really sad. But I'm like, that is a lot of pressure to have the world judging your identity because it became our comfort zones. We, mm -hmm. we all know Roger Federer played tennis. Like, it it almost throws things upside down in in what's known to you if something like that happens. So I just wanted to acknowledge that the power of external expectations is so strong. Mm -hmm. um, but even the best of the best in the world, yes, they identified with it for years and years and years, but it does come to a time and place where you're ready for something else. Either we don't get validated by that anymore, our body might not be able to keep up, our mind not be able to keep up, or we have other goals mm -hmm. such as having a family. If you want to have a family, maybe you can't train for five hours a day. So, you know, you see it at all levels. There's nothing wrong with it, but it has to come from a place of you being ready. Don't let mm -hmm. other people force you to make the change, but if you feel good about what you're doing, you know, being a competitor, which is what got me into bodybuilding, like it gave me that validation from friends, you know, Danny's doing something different. It allowed me to realize, hey, I don't have to be stuck in this grind of a lifestyle. I can actually have a really big goal that scares me. I can work on my mindset my nutrition and my training like I can stand out I can you know and there is going to be external validation there but that wasn't the drive it was just about me going on an adventure making new friends proving to myself that I can do things that really scared me and you know traveling we went traveling together like all of these 
amazing things, dressing up for photo shoots, you know, putting on nice makeup and outfits, um, being in front of the camera, being on the stage, like all of those things really drew me to being an athlete, but the habits were massive. I'd wake up, I'd do my meditation, my journaling. I would um, not touch my phone for the first hour of the day. I would go into the gym. You know, it complemented my work, working as a trainer. It complemented uni. There were so many elements and I was 100% in an athlete's mentality. But it did affect, you know, relationship with living with mum. I was single the whole time because I didn't want to bar of anyone else. I was just on a mission, you know. Other elements like social life, I didn't go out drinking anymore. All of those other things uh, were affected but not enough for me to burn bridges, you know. I learned to separate myself because there was nothing wrong with everyone else. I just didn't want those parts of me to be dialed up because it would take away from the athlete part. Then when it, we came into lockdown, there was no athlete part. Like there was, but we weren't even allowed to go to the gym, even though I was working as a therapist. You know, you couldn't really post about your training because I felt bad for other people who didn't have access to work and training and all of that. So it forced me to deviate from body composition, being an athlete, all of that into more professional. Even though I had that part of me already, I dialed it right up because everything that I was getting from bodybuilding had to be replaced. You know, mm -hmm. we have to replace these things. So I replaced it with educating people, um, working on my learning, um, you know, started United Health. Uh, we, we kept going with our podcast. All of these other amazing elements got dialed right up in the lockdowns. We started the app in the second lockdown in Sydney, like all of these things. So for me personally, life just forced me to change. I don't know where I'd be if lockdown didn't happen. Like you don't know, but you just have to take what comes and then have a good hard look at yourself and go, if you don't change, you're going to be miserable. If I if I still considered myself only an athlete and wasn't able to put in the practices to be an athlete, you know, I would still feel lost. So I just filled that with what I'm doing now, relationships, personal life and everything. So it was to summarise I loved being the athlete, 100%. I got everything out of it. Life threw a massive curveball. That disappeared all of a sudden or it got dialed down. And then I just filled it with what I'm doing now. And, you know, it's just about feeling good, only make changes if you don't feel good, if you start to feel lost or if it's affecting relationships. But if it doesn't, don't make the changes. So, yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Thanks that's for sharing that. Make perfect sense. And something you spoke about at the start around um, the tennis players, right? Like um, having pretty much stepping away from their sport after a period of time of probably getting the most reinforcement, right? Meant nothing when she just wanted to be a mother, right? She just wanted a new identity. And I think a lot of people, like especially top level athletes, like they become so attached to that identity and that part of them because they have to be. Like you said, when you're in that era, when you're in that league, you've got to give it all because uh, if you don't, someone else will be and you won't be standing next to them at the end of the day. But then as you're speaking about like all the other identities that sort of come in, I've always thought especially when it comes to competing because yes we train like athletes yes it's a sport <laughs> it's different 
it's different. Like you're not going to earn a living off it, for example, unless you're, I don't know, maybe Olympia, but usually they don't earn a living either. They've got other supplement companies and they've got other sponsorships, right? Like it's different. So you have to really think about when it comes to competing. Like if you're not in that top 1% and I'm saying like anyone that's in that top 1%, there is a like top 1% of genetics too, has to be. We can't ignore that. If you're not in that top 1% or have that potential to be in that top 1%, you really need to evaluate whether putting all your eggs in one basket and having it consume your life and your relationships and everything else that it takes because it has to is worth it, right? And you've got to be so honest with yourself because, and I say this to a lot of my girls that are competing, like you have to get more out of this prep than the show. You have to. It has to change who you are. You have to adopt different behaviors. You have to have a different motive. Like be selfish. Is this for brand? Is this for business? Is this for personal growth? What is this actually for? Because it can't be for the stage. It can't be for the pro status. It doesn't mean shit in the real world. And it's not going to get you to where you want to be, right? We have to learn to detach our emotions um, from our long-term because sometimes the validation can overtake for a period of time. And like you said, Danny, we've both been there. It feels great for a period, but then something like something's missing along the way. You sort of get to that point. We're like, what what else? What's next? What There's more to this. And that's when I guess the intrinsic motivators they become a little bit dis, like distached, like untached, sorry, because they're not, it's not all of a sudden giving you that same sense of connection as what you had at the start. So I think for anyone transitioning, because I think we are in a little bit of a different era as well, where of course competing is still very popular and a lot of people do it. And I think it's incredible for personal growth. And, you know, obviously we're both pros, like we think it's awesome. We're in this era where a lot of people are sort of like moving into more of like the health and thinking more about business now with, especially now that like social media is helping with businesses. It wasn't like that when we first started, like it's a bit of a shift and a bit of dynamic. You have to be thinking like, what else is there rather than just being so engorged in that competitor's identity, if it's not going to be your be all and end all. Yes. And it also ties in with, you can't, purely identify with how you look Mm. you know because you can get what's deemed an athletic body in really unhealthy ways 100% and people are becoming smarter in what to look out for not only in themselves and their behaviors but then also clients and the people around them they don't really uh, like look we can all appreciate someone who's worked hard in a healthy way and they look a certain way. You can appreciate the work, but now beauty standards are changing. People are getting smarter. People are realizing that it's so exhausting to walk around with a six pack 24 seven, unless mm. you know, you're a minority who that's just your genetic makeup. Um, so we, myself included, definitely forced myself to steer away from that because health was being affected. You know, didn't have a period when I was competing, stuff like that. So It's not, I don't want to take away from the competitors because obviously like it's still an amazing sport. But as you said, it needs to be considered very carefully. Mm. You don't make direct income from it. You can go down a path of unhealthy behaviors. So, you know, make sure you're doing it for all the other reasons that you did mention earlier in a healthy way as well. Um, And it's not the next step of a gym goer. It doesn't go join a gym, love training, compete it doesn't work oh, like that you know what I mean yeah yeah people just think oh, it's the next step and give it a go 
But we're talking about in today's episode, people who identify 100% with something, you need to recognize or ask yourself the question, is what I'm identifying with serving me? Mm. Like, why am I so attached to it? If it is and you feel awesome, good. But a lot of the time we can identify with things that are actually protecting us, but in a negative way. Yeah, 100%, right? Like we have to know why we're doing what we're doing. And as soon as the the outcomes or the goals or the identity sort of doesn't align with our values, we really need to um, adjust them and ask ourselves, like, have my priorities changed? Have things shifted for me? Because they will. And as you mentioned, Danny, a lot of the times it's actually not our choice when we transition and or go through different chapters. And probably for me, I think something that um, as we're talking about this, I've always had a really strong athletic identity in the competing scene and mm. I just I just loved it when I was completely in it but I, I just don't know if it was ever my number one like I don't know if it was my my ever all consuming piece it was for a period of time don't get me wrong um but I think the nurse like in me was a lot stronger for a lot of it to be honest because it was a lot more ingrained it was older to be honest it was um yep. it had been there for a lot longer um and for me like I, I was never willing to sacrifice my health beyond to get to that point like thankfully I didn't have to and I think that's a genetic piece too like I never lost my cycle I never really like I, I never you know dropped below maybe 1200 1300 calories which is quite you know reasonable for a competitor mm. um you know I never really cared to really kill myself obviously never touched performance enhancing drugs never did that right and obviously the wbff it's a little bit different to other federations as well definitely want to name that but i think it's important to identify like why you do what you do and now zooming out a little bit and being where i am now i can see that a little bit more clearly and i can see how that really like took over a bit because yeah i just sometimes look at other people that are willing to go to the nth degree for it and like you said danny if that's what you want to do and that's that's it then awesome but if it's not like and if you're just a coach wanting to help people like if you're wanting to do these things um and i see it a lot with just like I guess, female fitness coaches that think I'm going to compete to inspire my clients. Like it's probably the opposite of healthy (laughs) for a female anyways, to be honest. So you don't have to go down these avenues to do what you think you might have to. It might have been like the thing to do, maybe, I don't know, back then and a bit more trendy, but there's so many ways to get to your path. And it sort of goes to the point what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, pave your own path. Like it can look different. You can stand out in other ways. You can get the things that you think you might be getting in other ways too that might actually be more direct and I really challenge people to think about it because it's it's difficult to do on your own and coming back to what you said at the start of the episode Danny like when when Michelle asked you like if you're not Danny the osteo who are you you can't have that lens when you're looking through Danny the osteo Mm. so when you're looking through like Danny the WBF bikini pro and I say what else is there you're like the crown (laughs) you know we're just like (laughs) we're just like laser focused and Mm. because that's what it takes so you need other people to challenge your perspective challenge your identities and then I also think you need that softer approach to be like hey it's not the be all end all in fact you should have other identities right like people don't don't buy coaching they buy coaches um so make sure there's more to you than just the one facet because people want to be able to relate too so there's heaps of different layers but I think identities are there to be lived um like through and jumped between we don't just have one and in fact we shouldn't because it can become depressive as we spoke about 
when that gets taken away because especially in the competitive scene and in the sports scene, like injury derails people, Mm -hmm. right? And you would have seen this, Danny, many times that it completely derails people when they all of a sudden can't live through this one identity that they've let go of all their relationships and and spent thousands of dollars on or, you know, I've spent like 60 grand on competing in my competing career. So, like, this, this stuff isn't like cheap, right? Like, so you have to know that if you want to do it, yes, give it your all for that period of time, but be okay with stepping out of it. Be okay with having a year off. Be okay with doing other things and making sure that you're, you know, nurturing your other identities and your other relationships too. Yeah. So when you were um, just about to become a pro, obviously you're doing everything it took. Were you identifying still as a nurse? What was the ratio between Nurse Sherelle and then Athlete Sherelle? Mm, just in that phase 50 50 i would say like when and then you after, think of, after and then, pro? well it was never less than 50 50 until lockdown yeah, well. to be honest because like i was still working four or five shifts a week eight hours and during work you obviously can't touch your phone and you're wearing scrubs <laughs> do you know what i mean so yes. i didn't have any other way I, I wouldn't body check i wouldn't you know i'd train when i could i would do things around it like it was still a big part of me don't get me wrong but there was no hiding from the fact that I was spending 35-plus hours a week as a nurse midwife um, yep. and however many hours in the gym. So I think for me, I always felt like I was living a double life until lockdown, always. I was always like, whoop, this is me, and then now it's it's over here. And I think mm. that's why I probably got on social media, to be honest, because I, I wanted to be able to find other people because I just wasn't going to find that in my – like in the hospital, I just wasn't going to find those people. So I generally felt like I was living a double life until, and I, you know, I've spoken about this in the past, but it was really until I actually stepped away. Um, and I did slowly drop down work to be able to study and do other things in fitness as well. I did slowly do that, but it wasn't generally until I started to consciously put that aside. Um, and it was actually a, um, I had like a professional development thing with my um, uh, nurse unit manager. I remember this so clearly. It was probably six months before I finished up. And, you know, every year you catch up with your ANAM and you go through your goals and stuff like that. And I remember sitting down with her and finding it so difficult because I didn't mm-hmm. have any. And I remember sat, sitting there and she was like trying to probe me because I was like, I'm really struggling. I had a really good relationship with her too as well. Um, and I just said to her, the, like the honest reality is I don't have any because like I've got I've got goals to actually move into this direction and, and, you know, start a business and do these things. And she, and I remember her saying to me, that's okay. Like, if that's what you want to do, like go for it. And I remember once I consciously recognized that and being like, holy shit, like I, I no longer have ambitions in this. Like maybe this isn't the the identity that I'm wanting to look through. I was trying to force myself to. Um, but when I sort of realized that and I actually started giving more attention to the other side of me, we started the podcast. I, um, dropped another day of work so I could make sure that could happen. I just slowly started doing that. Um, this identity started to become the one that I gave more time and attention to and the one that I was more probably comfortable with than sharing because I felt like it was real rather than just a hobby that I did on the side. So I took a couple of years to transition that identity. Um, and it's also fine to have two. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it was fine for me to show up as a nurse and then it was also fine for me to post at the gym. Like there's no right or wrong um, way of doing it. But, yeah, it wasn't until I sort of really moved away um, that I actually 
stepped into it. I don't know if that answers your question. Sorry, it was long. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's why we're here on the podcast for long answers, aren't we? Not the 15-second stories. Um, (laughs) And that's great. And I do remember that time so vividly, well, from the outside perspective and because, you know, we were sort of there together all the time talking a lot about it. And even you went through the resistance, you know, and it was really cool to see you weighing up what to do, um, recognising and talking about, you know, within us how you felt uncomfortable. You didn't want to let anyone down, particularly that unit Mm -hmm. manager who you had such a great relationship with, as you said, you know, even you felt the external, um, I suppose, expectations of people. You didn't want to let people down and we all go through some sort of consideration of other people as well in a big transition. But then at the end of the day, if you know that you're not ready, um, that you are ready to move on, like when you're trying to set those goals and you couldn't, then we're actually not serving anyone anymore Mm. because the work that you're meant to be doing over here in the old identity you'll start to resent you won't give it everything your attention will be elsewhere and all of these you know little clues come up but they get louder and louder and louder and louder until you just make that change and it's like ripping off a band-aid it's gonna freaking hurt and feel uncomfortable Mm. you'll be you'll be like oh thank god because now look at what you've created right up after the back end of all that resistance, you still had to go through the tough times. Yeah, 100%. And I think once you actually step into the identity that you want to, that aligns with you, it just feels easy. Do you know what I mean? Like there is, I like you f- tend to try and force yourself into a mold to try and live through. Um, and I'm not sure if the person that asked this question, like maybe you're feeling that too, that resistance of like not wanting to lose something, right? There's a lot of, I guess, restriction and force in that um, sort of mentality there. But it's important to know that eventually, like you'll just be guided into that direction. You have to learn to let go to be able to accept something different. And I even remember for me, like, I I went pro when I was working. Um, and so, like I said, I definitely still had to freaking put in the work, don't get me wrong, and, and live through it. Uh, but it wasn't until I went pro that I was like, all right, now, now I'm good enough in this. Like now I can be a professional. I felt like I had to earn a status um, to actually qualify, to give more time to that, to be honest. So it sounds a little bit backwards, but, you know, I just I just had nothing else besides working and training, to be honest, at that period of time. So it's important to be able to, like, reflect back on these things and, and also look at, you know, th- that served me during that period of time. Like, everything that happens to us, I wouldn't change a damn single thing, not mm. at all, because it creates the new identities, it creates perspective, which, in my opinion, is one of the most powerful powerful um, catalyst for change that we can all have is perspective, whether it's lived through yourself or um, I guess hearing from others and and I guess learning from their perspectives, super important um, because going through different periods and, and having resistance and trying to push through and create new identities, like that's growth and that's catalyst for change. And that's what eventually allows you to find the identity that you've got. And the other piece, even for us, Danny, like oh, it's going to change again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like our identity is going to shift. I felt like yeah. I was a coach and then I was like, holy shit, now I'm more than a coach now. Like I've got other businesses, I've got things going on. I don't even know what I am anymore. So it's yeah. like your identity is just the pedestal that you create for yourself. It's an ego, right? Like no one else actually really sees you through the lens that you see yourself anyways. Yeah. And for the person who asked this question, I mean, obviously they're aware that they should change because yeah. you wouldn't ask the question if yeah. you were 100% happy being an athlete. So maybe... 
I don't know if life has forced you, whether it be through injury or something um, away from that, or if you're just being drawn in another direction, mm. you know, and maybe that person is asking permission to change. And we try to seek answers and advice from other people. And that's only good to an extent. But again, everyone's advice just comes from what they think is best for you. At yeah. the end of the day, you know what's best for you. And sometimes like what we've been reflecting on, there's no answer. We're mm. paving a path that is just built off what we feel like doing. We wake up and go, I want my life to be this. We might not be at all of our goals now because you know we're always going to set goals that are out of our reach. But we have molded our life based on that principle. I want to wake up and I want to do whatever I want. And that doesn't mean not work. We've just shaped our life and our career. We've learned who to share these thoughts with because most people shut them down. Um, and, and we've learned to keep quiet sometimes about our goals because we don't actually need immediate validation from other people and there's something so peaceful in realizing that you're so sure of yourself that people's opinions don't actually matter to the extent if mm -hmm. i if we change our identity great like no one actually cares to the extent that you think they do either so just start reflecting and when we always draw it back to tuning inwards mm. What, ask yourself, what do I feel like doing? Why did that question come up about changing identity? Was it internally or are people around me telling me I need to change? You know, there's so many factors in it, but try and weigh up whether it's internal or external. And it might be a little bit of both, but at the end of the day, if something is calling you internally, you just need to go with that. Mm, Otherwise, yeah. you're not going to live a fulfilling life. You'll feel inauthentic. You'll be resenting people and situations and it's just not nice. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, Danny, like you have already asked like how I can sort of do it. So you know that it's the direction that you need to. The question you need to be thinking about is like, why do you feel like you like you should be still identifying as as a competitor? Um, and I think lockdown did a hell of a lot for like the fitness industry and especially competing and lifting. Like a lot of people had to deviate to other ways to be able to get the same sort of intrinsic feelings um, as well. But obviously there was no shows, right? And I think a lot of strict comp prep coaches really suffered during that time because if you, again, put all your eggs in one basket um, and the basket is no more, like what happens? So don't, you know don't don't get yourself in that predicament where you've got yourself in that situation like see that as an opportunity to be like okay like maybe I should diversify myself maybe there is another whole community out there um that wants who I am right because a lot of people try and force themselves again into that mold and you'll never see the opportunities if you don't actually step back from it and I think that's the scary part is you never just switch to something else you have to have this like period where you're in limbo and you're not really sure and you're a little bit uncertain and you don't have any friends in that area and you know it's new um you have to go through that little chapter in order to be able to step into the next thing and as i mentioned once you actually do step into the identity that you want to be and this can be a host of identities by the way it doesn't have to be like stepping into something completely new it can just be like stepping back and being able to see them all um once you do that it feels so authentic and there is no resistance and there is no questions like this because you're just sort of like living and you're just being rather than feeling like you've got to do all of the time yeah, so embrace that blank canvas mentality. Mm. You know, you might have just been dumped. It's shit, but it's a blank canvas. You might have just lost your job. You know, yep. we've all been in all of these situations and 
and it feels like shit, but it's a blank canvas, the mm. blank canvas mentality. Be okay with a little bit of uncertainty, but have peace in knowing that you will create certainty and it's going to look different. And sometimes losing a job is a blessing because finally you're not in, you're not trapped in something and you can actually create a new path for yourself. So really adapt the blank canvas mentality and be okay with pivoting in life. You just have to. Yep. 100%. Well, that I'm inspired, Danny. Woo! I'm ready to transition. But, yeah, again, like we hope that um, this resonated, obviously, with the person that asked the question. But, like, everyone, like being more aware of your identity and actually think about your thinking, like think about your thinking of yourself. Like it's an incredible skill to be able to have to zoom out and, you know, look at all the different identities that you've got and whether the behaviours that you're doing or the habits, they align with that identity, Reevaluating priorities, which we've all had to do over the last few years as well. And, you know, it's really challenged us to think about what's actually important which I think is essential, right? Like we should be doing that regularly. It shouldn't take a pandemic to um, actually do the things that we want to. But for a lot of us, it did, myself included. So I'll definitely yeah. own that. Um, but yeah, we hope you enjoyed the episode. And as always, if you did, make sure that you take a screenshot uh, and share it on your Instagram story. Thanks, everyone.